Jesus was asked to summarize all the commands of God, he said this, the first and the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus took all of the commands of God throughout scripture and he said, this is it. This is it. And what we find is that at the time Jesus was ministering, one of the groups of people that most stood against him were the religious elite. Now you would think they would be the ones who would recognize God in their midst, but they missed it. They missed it. And so the problem was they saw themselves as self-righteous. They saw themselves as being right with God. They didn't look at their own hearts. They didn't look at their own lives. They were always looking at the lives of others and pointing them out. Never opening their heart to the Lord to say, God, what are you saying to me? How do you want to transform me? How do you want to change me? And so Jesus, on a regular basis, would put poke holes in their self-righteousness. One time he told this story, one that is familiar to most of us. It's a story of a man who was taking a journey one day, and on that journey, he was attacked by some robbers. He was beaten up, bloodied, left for dead. He was lying on the side of the road, and after a little while, a, a priest, a Jewish priest, came by, and he saw the man lying bloodied on the road, and he didn't stop, but he gave himself wide berth and went around him and went on his way. A little while later, there was, a, there was another religious leader, a Levite, who came by. And he saw the man lying on the road, bloodied and dying, and he passed by as well. And then there was a hated Samaritan. Samaritans were considered half-breeds by the Jews. And this man, Jesus said, stopped and he helped the man. He not only tended to his wounds, but he took him to an inn, and he paid for his care in the inn. And then Jesus looks at these religious elite, and he, says, he asks them this question, who was the neighbor? What Jesus was doing was he was poking holes in their self-righteousness. He wanted them to see their need for a savior. He wanted them to see that they were not living according to the commands of God. That they were not loving their neighbor as themselves. This morning, what we're going to do as we continue in our journey in 1 John, we're going to be looking at a passage that, again, continues this theme of how can I know that I have received salvation? How can I know that I am a child of God? And what John is going to say is there basically a contrast between two kinds of people. There are people who are children of God, and there are people who are children of the devil. I'm not pointing at... I just realized what I did. Children of God and children of the devil. Sorry, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but what a, uh, it's a powerful story. What Jesus is trying to help us to understand is this. I am not saved by my good works. I am not saved by loving my neighbor because I fall short of God's perfect standards. And so do you. I am a sinner, as are you, in need of salvation, in need of a savior. That's why Jesus came. 
So where does loving my neighbor, where does doing what God wants me to do in this world, how does that fit into the equation? Simply this. When we have truly met Jesus Christ and we receive his spirit in our lives, we will want to live a life that honors him. The deeper I have gone in my faith, the more I am desiring to live the life that God created me to live. I want to honor him. I want to bless him. Not to get him to love me. He already loves me. Not to get him to save me. He's already saved me. But out of gratitude and out of relationship. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to John chapter 3. And 1 John, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3. And I am going to read beginning in verse 10. We left off at verse 10 last week, but I want to pick that up because it leads to the very next section. So listen to what the Word of God says. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now, he's not talking about biological. He's talking about the community of faith. We are brothers and sisters because we are children of the Heavenly Father. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is a profound passage. And I want to begin by looking at really what are the key verses. And that is verses 10 and 11. John says this is how we know who the children of God are and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not, have, does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Some of you will remember the name Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was a very famous Christian theologian of the, 20, uh, the 20th century, wrote numerous books, he was absolutely brilliant. And in one of his books, he talks about how we as Christians often like to distinguish ourselves with outside adornment. So he talked about, for example, wearing a cross. He, he's saying there's nothing wrong with this. This is great. But today we might say, well, maybe it's a tattoo, a Christian tattoo, or maybe it's a Christian shirt or a Christian hat that I wear. Um, but we try to adorn ourselves in different ways so that the world knows that we are believers. Here's what Francis Schaeffer said. He said, the world should know that we are believers by the content and the quality of the way that we love one another. You will know that you are my children when you love one another. This becomes the great indicator that we do know Jesus, that the Spirit of God indeed 
is in us because of the quality of the way that we love one another. We, um, we saw that there are two types of people, John says, children of the devil, children of God. There's nothing in between. Children of God are those who have given their life and faith to Jesus Christ, who have received salvation by believing that he died for them on the cross. Children of the devil are those who have not made that decision. And so what John says is there are just two types of people, and he draws a contrast between them in this passage. Now, I want to make very clear that my love for you does not earn me salvation. I am saved because I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he lived the perfect life I could not live. I believe that when he went to the cross voluntarily, I believe that he took my sin upon himself and the wrath of God upon himself so that I might know the forgiveness of sin now and forevermore, that I might be his eternal child. My good works does not add to what God has already done. My good works is a response to what God has already done. Amen? This is something that we need to think about when we think about holiness, when we think about living a life that honors God. It's out of gratitude because the Spirit of God is within us. And then John says this, for this message is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This is an extraordinary picture because we see it from the very beginning. Love one another, God has said, from the beginning. The qual what matters most, I'm preparing my sermon for the 15th and was looking at 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12 and reading through that. And he's talking about all the great gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, but the most excellent is love. The most excellent is the way that we love one another. And so let's look now, as we break this down, what does it look like? He says, a sign of salvation is our love for one another. Look at verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So here's what Jesus is saying through this passage, through John, to speak to us today. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because of the way that we love one another. Now, passing from death to life is another way of saying salvation. Remember, John wrote the Gospel of John, and in there he records the conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisee Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Passing from death to life is coming alive spiritually. It's, it's taking a spiritual, the light of God coming into me so that the light of God now is in me and shines through me. It's the presence of God in my life. John often talks about darkness and light. It, it was, it's intriguing to me that when Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room just before he would be crucified and arrested and crucified, Jesus said, one of you will betray me. Now, we think that, that Judas must have had horns growing out of his head. It must have been obvious to the disciples, oh, he must be talking about Judas. We know how bad Judas is. 
Judas is the one who will betray him. No, they didn't know it was Judas. They had no idea. You see, Judas presented himself as one of the family, and yet he was not living in the light. He was not a child of God. And so it's interesting that when Jesus, when John records Judas leaving to betray him to the religious leaders and to the Roman authorities, it says, and Judas left and entered the dark of the night. It's powerful because he was sitting in the presence of pure light and didn't recognize it. And then he went into the darkness because the darkness reflected who he really is. You see, he didn't love God. He didn't love one another. He was not a child of God. He goes on, he says, anyone who does not love remains in death. Love is the example. It is the picture of what it looks like to be a child of God. Love should be just natural force. Now, we have to work at it, but we're going to see what it looks like in just a moment. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Now, Jesus said that. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you have heard it said that you shall not murder. But I tell you, Jesus said, anyone who hates their brother or sister has already committed murder. Jesus takes the commands of God, and it's not just what we do, but it's what's inside of us, what's driving us, what's motivating us that matters. Now, he's going to talk about what this love looks like. Number one, we see John says that this love, that we, the way we should love one another should be sacrificial. Listen to what he says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus defines love by his very life. God is love. Jesus is God in human flesh. Jesus is the perfect picture of perfect love. And so he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wow. We are to lay down our lives for one another. One of my favorite authors over the years has been a man that passed away in the last decade. His name is Brendan Manning. He was a, um, a Catholic priest, and Brendan Manning writes about intimacy with God, and he talks about a time when he and his best friend were serving in uh, the Korean War together. Somehow they ended up in the same troop, and they ended up in the same foxhole. As they were talking about growing up in New York, all of a sudden a grenade was thrown into the foxhole. There wasn't time to react. And his friend jumped on the grenade and saved his life. He said, it was at that moment that I understood the power of this, of this verse. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And that is what we are to do for one another. Now, chances are most of us are not going to find ourselves in a foxhole where we can jump on a grenade. Chances are most of us are not going to be in a position where we literally can take a bullet for somebody else. So what does it mean to lay down your life? I want you to hear this. It means giving up your agenda for the sake of what God wants to do in the life of another person. It's sacrificing what you want in order to give somebody else what it is that God wants for them. Husbands, 
What would it look like for you to sacrifice, to give up what you want for you in order to serve your wives? Wives, what would it look like for you to give up what you want for yourself in order to give to your husbands what God wants for them? Children, what does it mean for you to sacrifice in this way for your parents? Parents, what does it mean for you to give up what you want for yourself? To give to your children what God wants for them. Not what you want for them, but what God wants for them. What would it look like if we were a community of faith that lived that way? That understood the needs of one another and reached out and sacrificed. Lived sacrificially in our relationship with one another in such a way that we can build one another up. It might be just listening to someone, taking the time not talking, but just listening. It might be reaching out and caring for them in some powerful way or some very common way. What would it look like for you this week to give up sacrificially what you want for yourself to give to somebody else what God wants for them? Here's a second thing he says about this biblical love. He says that it's active. It's active. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions. With actions. Now, I was thinking about this in terms of the covenant of marriage, the commitment of marriage. Imagine a man and a woman come and they say their vows in front of their family and their friends. And for, for the one of them, it's just words. It's just words. It means nothing to them. They're going to go out and they're going to live life their way. It doesn't matter what they do in their eyes because they're living for themselves. They can say these words, they can say these vows, but it, if it doesn't mean anything to them, they'll never live them out. When I marry couples, I always have them prepare their vows because it, they can't, I don't want them committing to what I want for them. They have to commit to what they believe God is calling them to and I help them in that process. Now friends, here's the question. Are we living it out in our relationships? When I was, made a commitment to Jesus, I made a vow to Jesus. You are going to be not just my savior, but my Lord. Now, I don't live perfectly in that, in that vow, but I certainly seek to live it out. In my marriage, I made a commitment to love and sacrifice for my wife. I want to live out that vow in my relationship. We have taken a vow together as brothers and sisters in Christ. When we made a commitment to Jesus, when we made our profession of faith, that we would be family together. And that means that we are committed to serving one another, not just with words, but in action. One of the things that I love about this church is its heart for generosity. This is an amazingly generous church. I have never served in a church that had such a large percentage of its budget, or the monies, I should say, that's received going outside of the church. I calculated last year, all the money that we give away for missions, all the money we give away for benevolence, listen to this, it's about 20% of all the money that comes into this church 
is given away. Why? Because love is active. Our deacons work hard to, to understand the needs of people in our community, in our church family, but outside of our church family. In the last four years, this church has given away $325,000 for our community. The deacons have given that money away into our community beyond the walls of this place and in this place. Absolutely. $325,000. Because we don't want to be a church that just says, well, I hope it works out for you. We want to be a church that says, how can we come alongside and serve? How can we love? We want our love to be active. I reached out to a friend of mine who a decade ago started a ministry in my old church. And they began digging water wells throughout the world. Some of the countries are Uganda, India, northern Kenya, Nepal. And they, they are doing this so that people have access to clean drinking water. Without clean drinking water, people get sick and die. Children get sick and die. And so this church, which is a very, uh, doesn't have a lot of money. There, uh, just, it's just the nature of that little area there. This church has raised over $300,000. They have funded 84 wells in the world that has brought clean drinking water to over 100,000 people. Friends, this is love in action. And what I love about this, they don't take the credit for it. They say to the local church in those communities, you be the one. You be the one. Tell them this is in the name of Jesus, not some American church coming in with our, all of our money, but the glory goes to Jesus Christ through the local church. It's a beautiful picture. It's an amazing picture. And then here's, here's a picture of, of, the, um, of one of the places that they've, they've dug a well. Look at that that amazing? These children have clean drinking water for the first time in their lives. See, this is love in action. Let us not love with words and speech. Let us love in action and in truth, John says. And then they are to be expressed, our love is to be expressed in ways that are consistent with the gospel. Listen to what he says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What does it mean, and in truth? I'd never paid attention to that before. Because I get so excited about the action. I don't pay attention to and in truth. It means to do it in a way that is consistent with what the scriptures teach. And it means that we bring the good news of Jesus. I have a burden for people who are sick in the world. I have a burden for people who don't have enough uh, food, who don't have housing, who don't have clothing. But my biggest burden for them is I don't want to just clothe them and give them water and give them food without the gospel. The good news of Jesus is the greatest need that they have. And so we as a church don't just give money away without the gospel. We help people to understand that this is motivated by our love for Jesus. And we do it in truth in a way that is consistent with the biblical teachings. And then finally... True salvation will lead to conflict with the world. 
John says, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Now that word murder, if you're a note taker, it means butchered. It's savagery. This was that Cain and Abel didn't have just some disagreement between brothers. This was premeditated savage murder. Why? Well, what John says is because he was angry. Cain was angry at Abel because Abel walked with God and Cain did not. If you know the story from Genesis chapter 4, what we read is that both, both, both sons of Adam and Eve had offered an offering to the Lord. Cain's offering came, he was a, um, in agriculture, he offered his and his sacrifice. Abel had, had animals, he offered his sacrifice. God was not pleased with Cain's, but he was pleased with Abel's. We don't really know why. I think the greatest uh, insight into what happened is it says Cain who belonged to the evil one. So his heart was not even with God. He, did, he wasn't a worshiper of God. He was one who was living and driven by Satan. And so he offers a sacrifice. He goes through the motions of faith, but it's not in the heart. Where Abel's is in the heart. Now listen to what happens. Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So here's what's happening. Abel was living in the light. He loved God. He offers a sacrifice. Now, in the Bible, it seems that the animal sacrifices were more significant, but Cain certainly could have bartered and gotten an animal to sacrifice. It seems to be an issue of the heart. And as he lives in this relationship with his brother, what he sees in his brother is this. Cain sees that his brother is living in the light. And what happens is it convicts him. It makes him feel angry. Because the Bible says the darkness does not like the light. So what does John say? Do not be surprised. This is just an example. Abel's righteousness made Cain uncomfortable and angry. When we do what God calls us to do in this world, the world will hate us. Jesus said it himself. Listen to this from John 3, 19 and 20. Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, speaking of himself. But people love darkness instead of light. Because why? Their deeds were what? What said? Evil. So what's happening is you live in a way that honors God. You live in a way that's consistent with the commands of God. You live in a way that, is, that pleases God. And by your very choices, you are convicting people who live in darkness and they will hate you for it. They may not understand where that's coming from in them, but Jesus said it. The darkness hates the light. And when you make decisions that reflect the light, the world will hate you and will not come into the light for fear that the, their deeds will be exposed. Now, this is, we'll see more about that next week, but this is a, just a profound thing that's happening inside of their lives. 
We were all created to love God, to live in relationship with him. And when somebody is living in a way that honors God and we are not, we are convicted. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had somebody come up angry with me after a sermon because they said, you were, you were just, you were talking about me, weren't you? No, I was talking about what the Bible teaches. I wasn't even thinking about you. Because they feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, and they don't like it. Now, I know that. I've been convicted. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. And we'll say more about that next week. But friends, we cannot seek to be friends to the world. We honor the world. We respect the world. We, as John defines the world, we honor it. We respect it. We don't hate the world. We love people. We hate the systems of evil, but we, as we said early on in this series, we love people, we love what God has created. But we have to understand that when we live in a way that honors God, the world will not be happy. I don't know about you, but I've experienced it in my own life. People who don't want to be around me because I've chosen to live in a certain way. My daughters experienced that in high school they they made decisions that they were gonna they were gonna walk the, the straight path and they're and both my girls experienced rejection because their friend group didn't want them around when they were doing things they knew they shouldn't be doing the light does not like the darkness I'll close with this story. When I was pastoring in, um, I was actually a seminary intern in Bellevue, Washington. And I was working with the youth group there. And we had this really wonderful youth group. And we did this weekend. It was a World Vision weekend. And we used the materials that World Vision sent us. And the kids had a weekend of experiencing poverty in the world. What it would be like, this is a very wealthy area, what it would be like to be impoverished in the world. On Monday morning, I got a call from a very angry parent. And this father said to me, I don't send my daughter to youth group to get serious about Jesus. I send her to youth group so that you can teach her to live a good life. I said, well, what happened? Apparently, this girl had come home and probably didn't handle it real well, but she began to challenge the lifestyle of her parents, of her family. And, and that was probably on me for not doing a great job of debriefing with the kids. But there's ways to handle that, but he did not like it. He did not like that his daughter was challenging their lifestyle. And I said, well, it sounds like that's a great opportunity to have a conversation with your child. They didn't really appreciate that. <laughs> but friends, listen to what Jesus said. Light is coming to the world. The light of Christ is in you and me. People love darkness instead of light because everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. We should be different. We should 
make the darkness uncomfortable. Not because we want people to feel bad, but as we live a life that honors Jesus, it exposes the darkness. And our prayer is that people will embrace the light and know freedom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we are honored and blessed that you would teach us this morning and meet with us this morning. Lord, all I have are words. But you, by your spirit, you can transform lives. And so, Lord, my prayer is that the truth of what was offered this morning through 1 John would dig deep into the hearts of people, that it would bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Lord, may we live as people of the light whose lives are marked by sincere love for you and sincere love for one another. May the world look upon us and be drawn to what is happening here because of the quality of the way that we love one another. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.